Poole Couch Podcast is a weekly conversation with Dr. Lakeitha Poole, a licensed professional counselor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about all things mental health and personal growth. The Emerald Couch Podcast is the go-to pop site dialogue for self-help, good laughs, and real talk. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for seeking support from a licensed mental health professional and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information about counseling and therapeutic services, or for assistance in connecting with a therapist in your area, visit our website at www.smalltalkcounseling.com. Let's start the show. Everybody, welcome back to season two of the Emerald Couch. I'm so excited for us to be back. This marks both our 36th episode, but also a return to discussions and conversations around mental health that um, have led to a lot of really, really, really wonderful and interesting um, discussions, but also um, pushes all of us to dive a little bit deeper into. Um, bringing awareness to the things that affect all of us as individuals and how we choose to better ourselves from a wellness perspective. So I'm super, super excited to be back and to be able to jump right back where we left off, but having a new and fresh episode um, to get us started. So I am your host, Dr. Lakeitha Poole, and I'm so excited for us to get to explore um, these new topics, of course. Um, I continue to thank everyone for listening and for supporting. Your feedback is so imperative um, to the success of this show thus far, and that's the reason why we have a season two. So make sure that if you haven't already, you subscribe um, and rate us in Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Um, stay connected with us on social media, um, on Instagram at Go Small Talk Counseling, and like us on Facebook at www.com slash smalltalkcounseling. And then all of that um, is available through our website, www.smalltalkcounseling.com, where you can share our posts, share our social media pages, let us know if you like what you're hearing. Um, You can do all of that in offering feedback from one place, and that's on our website. So before we jump into our topic, based on feedback that we got, I wanted to at least chat through a few um, changes that I guess we're going to make to the show so that it can be uh, hopefully more efficient for you guys to listen to, but also more um, exciting to listen to as well. So one thing will be in order for us to leave more room um, for information sharing, discussions in between topics. Um, some of you even talked about wanting to see the blog revived. Um, so we're going to do that. And so Moving to a bi-weekly, so every other week, release date will allow us to do that. So I know for those of you who spend maybe your Monday morning um, or afternoon or lunch break listening, um, it'll be a little different to maybe not hear um, our voices and stories being shared weekly, um, but there will always be weekly content. So just being able to 
make sure that you recognize like we're not going anywhere just will look a little different um, from when you see that notification pop up on your phone or on your laptop um, about a new episode it'll be every other week instead of every week also um, you all loved having guests on the show um, and actually I loved it too it's pretty great to get to have um, in-person folks to do these discussions with so um, at minimum, we're going to have a guest at least every other month. Um, and I think that will help to add different perspectives to allow us to highlight expertise um, of others, uh, particularly those of us who might be in unique fields around wellness and being able to recognize um, that for me, I sort of exist in one area, which is around mental health and yeah, there's specialty areas within that um, that I like to think I know a lot about, but I also know um, it's really important to be able to surround yourself with folks who know things that you don't. And so um, every other month, at least, and we could always have more, but making sure that between the two episodes that we will get a month, every other month, at least one of them will include a guest feature. And then my goal, and I think you guys know this from the Times that we have gone um, really long in our discussions just because they get so interesting. And this typically does happen when we have a guest, but sometimes even my own individual rambling goes well beyond the time frame. Other feedback that we received is that most of you all do listen to the podcast, maybe on a commute to or from work or um, in between things that you have going on in your day where maybe you're working out or things like that. And so we're going to try, can't make any promises, to keep every episode to around 30 minutes instead of sometimes we would go 45 or an hour, an hour 15. Um, and for those where it happens, it happens and you'll just have to break up maybe listening to the podcast. But I do know as someone who loves podcasts myself, um, sometimes you're trying to squeeze them into a routine that you already have going and it's much more convenient um, to fit that in knowing that maybe you won't get time later in your day to finish an episode. So we're going to shoot for 30 minutes always. That's going to be the goal. And we'll go from there. So those are changes thus far coming to the show. Hopefully that will make season two even better. Everything you expect um, and will allow you to get in as many episodes as possible because it'll be much more convenient to listen to. So let's go ahead and dive into our first topic of this new season, um, which is entitled Don't Play Yourself Navigating Expectations. Um, I think being able to sort of start the year off around this topic is really important. And I know for myself, one of the major lessons that I learned in 2018, even as a therapist, even as a mental health professional, is that my willingness to sacrifice for others more often than not won't be matched by equal effort um, from those same individuals sometimes. And so because most of us are taught that you should always help someone in need and that only someone who is you know, cold-hearted won't go out of their way to help someone else, um, but oftentimes we don't think about what happens when this is potentially detrimental to our overall well-being and mental health when we go above and beyond, maybe even constantly or often for others. Um, and then how do we know how much is really too much and being able to allow ourselves to sort of pull back that support when necessary, um, which can be really difficult for someone who considers themselves a helper, um, someone who is understanding. It's really, really difficult. So. Well, I understand that helping others is altruistic, and I like to think that my mother and my grandmother 
pass these trades down to me um, with the best of intentions, because both of them are actually super kind-hearted people. For those of us who pride ourselves on being sort of self-sacrificial, we often end up with our feelings hurt and with less resources, which could be money, which could be time, which could be emotional output um, than we started out with and, you know, would have probably been much better spent on ourselves um, because we probably needed it more because we're pouring out so much. And so especially since most people neglect their own needs, um, the majority of the time, it's really, really important, I think, to highlight this topic around expectations and what does it look like um, for those of us who maybe find ourselves in that position. And so, of course, these people who often sort of get wrapped up in the desire to give, um, they hope that the people, you know, they're giving to and they're sacrificing for will see it and feel appreciative and kind of know their worth. Um, And then maybe find even their own way to sort of say thank you or award you back. Um, But this often isn't the case. And and that's why it can be a little bit um, dangerous emotionally um, to sort of be that person all the time. And so I've learned that people will, you know, look right at you after all of what you've done um, and never once see what went into everything that you've done or have a, a, a true appreciation according to maybe your standard, which we're going to talk about a little bit too, um, of what you've actually done. And so you know why? It's mostly because they didn't ask you to do it. And that's what gets people in trouble. Sort of this idea that, you know, if I do this, this will sort of earn that loyalty or earn um, that person's desire to want to support you or to be happy for you or to offer um, themselves for you. When in actuality, they didn't ask you to do that. And so because of that, you really can't be too mad with them. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like for all of us, um, because being able to sort of find the middle ground in that is really important. So when we think about this and we think about what happens when we maybe don't make that choice to find that middle ground, ultimately we end up sort of left with hurt feelings, um, or in my case, probably last year, more frustration. Um, For some people, it's mental anguish over why this person just can't see your worth or can't see um, how willing you are to go above and beyond for them, Um, especially knowing that they have maybe never or very rarely, um, you know, are ever driven to go even a bit of an extra mile for you. And so it's all about expectations and the role they sort of play in our mental health. And having this discussion today is super, super important to me um, for all of you, because I think as we start a new year, people get really wrapped up in, you know, New Year's resolutions and all of these sort of like lifestyle wellness goals, changes. Um, but in actuality, we can there's a lot that we can do internally first um, before we sort of work to create these external changes that we want to see maybe in our physical bodies um, and also in our mental health and well-being, but it really does start internally. So I want to kind of start with two quotes that I love around this topic. I don't think people often relate them directly to expectations, but in my mind, I do. And I think it's because, and in, in you'll get more of this in one of the articles I'll reference, is really being able to recognize that our reaction to things is everything. And so being able to understand that if you can have a better understanding of your expectations, you'll be able to sort of uh, moderate and manage your emotions around them when they aren't met. 
So the first quote is um, a quote by Charles Swindoll, which says, life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. Um, And so this is kind of just what I was saying, this idea that the way in which we respond to things um, is really what colors and shapes our life. Um, There's no way for us to be able to exist in the way that we do and have what we presume is a happy life without being able to respond in in the way in which maybe we feel like is the best possible way based on what happens to us. And so just being able to think differently about that, I think is important and why that quote um, is interesting because it really isn't about everything that happens to us. It's actually about how we respond. So the other quote that I really, really love um, is a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt, which says, remember, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So this hits on what I mentioned earlier in our introduction of just this idea that the only reason maybe you feel like that loyalty isn't returned back to you or that you are giving beyond um, your means is because you've allowed sort of this person or circumstance to put you in that situation. And so there is no way that you should feel less than um, if you don't permit sort of that feeling to exist. And so today I want us to kind of talk through What really is that secret behind um, being able to react in the way that we should in order for us to maintain our happiness, but also um, to never feel inferior for maybe being a helper or being someone who is loving and kind, uh, while also being able to sort of, you know, put your foot down and and set some boundaries um, so that people understand um, your kindness shouldn't be taken for weakness. And so being able to have this discussion today, I think, is really, really important. So I want to reference um, a Psychology Today article. So yes, even in 2019, Psychology Today is still one of my favorite places to have um, our discussions around sort of data that you guys can look at and research um, around the topics that we discuss. So um, the article that I want to mention today is entitled The Secret to Happiness and Compassion, Low Expectations. So immediately, of course, controversial title, right? Like, and when you hear that, you, you assume we're going to be talking about how to lower your expectations in order to be happy. It's not what we're doing. Don't turn off your podcast or SoundCloud app. Um, that's not what we're going to talk about, but we're going to use that as a reference point to be able to have a better understanding of where our boundaries should be and how to create them. So this article, which is by Dr. Sher- Jeremy Sherman, um, I think will be an interesting discussion for us today, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts about it afterwards. So one of the things that um, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but I think is sort of really important around this discussion is that most of us think we have um, you know, a functioning definition of what happiness really looks like, uh, what does it mean for our lives, when in actuality, we're much closer um, to what someone would describe as happiness sort of depending not on how well things are, but sort of how things are either going better or worse than expected. So we really don't have this true definition. Um, And a better quote actually comes from um, Arthur and neuroscientist Rob Rutledge definition, which says, happiness depends not on how well things are going, but whether things are going better or worse than we expected. And so this idea is really that a lot of times we don't have a true measure of what makes us happy. We kind of just base it on if good things are going on, then we're like, okay, I must be happy, or maybe a sense of contentment versus, and we're going to talk about that too, but versus being able to recognize, oh my gosh, the string of bad things continues to go on 
in my life, so I'm not happy. And it kind of makes you wonder, where does that leave those of us who maybe classify ourselves as optimists? You know, are we truly cheerful because we have our high expectations and so then we draw in all these really great things? Or are we cheerful because we have low ones and so it's really hard to be disappointed um, because there's no high expectations, there's nothing that's way, way out there in defining our happiness that doesn't allow us to get disappointed. And so what I do want to make sure is that we don't confuse lowered standards as appropriate with lowered expectations of others. I think the author of this article points out that, you know, by now, most of us are pretty convinced that like happiness, compassion is sort of this like function of lower expectations or standards. We think that we're happier to sort of accept other people's difficult behaviors when we expect less from them. I don't necessarily know that that is fully true, but I think what he's trying to get at is that happiness and compassion can't be the only things that you focus on when trying to sort of measure these expectations and also what you're expecting to get from life yourself. So he goes into a a much longer discussion than we have time for today around um, improvement. And the reason why I think that error is important and why it fits really well into sort of this idea of expectations and how we want to think about this for the new year is that um, as a virtue, improvement, um, for which high expectations is actually a really critical piece of, um, even if someone is disappointed or maybe those sort of ideas around improvement make us seemingly less compassionate um, because we feel sad when we maybe don't meet those high expectations um, or when people don't meet even the lowered expectations um, that we might have of them, being able to have these higher expectations if you want improvement um, are necessary. On the opposite end of that, being able to have these lower expectations, particularly of others, because they are more outside of our locus of control, um, is really what you want to have if you're seeking contentment. And so, you know, if you want to be able to get bigger and do better in your life, then you have to encourage others around you to get bigger and do better. Um, You sort of cultivate high expectations, even if it means being disappointed, um, even if it means seeming um, uncompassionate. But if you want to feel big enough already and sort of satisfied with where you are um, and with what others bring to the table, then you have to sort of have this moderated Um, potentially lower level of expectations. So again, I don't want people to confuse this with like lower standards of what's appropriate for someone being a part of your life as a friend, as um, a significant other, but what you expect from another human being who is flawed, um, who may not have the insight about who they are um, is important to sort of recognize and to not put yourself in a situation, particularly like a relationship or a work environment um, or a friendship um, where that person or people really just can't meet what those expectations that you have are. And so it really is about what I love um, the Dr. Sherman, the author describes sort of managing the aspirational gap. And so this gap is sort of between what is and what could be. Um, so saying that there's always sort of potential for people to step it up um, in your life, but you have to think about what is it that you have in place already um, and available emotionally to be able to sustain that relationship or friendship or job um, and what you actually expect of those things or those people. And so if you can find a way to manage those expectations um, and sort of figure out what that standard will be, 
I think you end up with less opportunities to be disappointed, more optimism than you probably ever expected, um, and the ability to be able to understand um, that people are, are flawed. And so having that compassion really leads um, to us being able to have an a understanding of what expectations really should be and how we need to navigate them so that we don't end up um, sort of playing ourselves into thinking that people are going to love on us the way that we love on them or be the friend to us that we've been to them. Um, it just doesn't always work like that. And so just being able to have a better understanding of that, hopefully for this year that we're, we're well into, um, will allow us to be able to think about ourselves a little bit more, but also um, the role we want others to play in our lives. So as we start a new year, I really want everyone to consider what you already have on your list as an expectation. What are those standards? What do they look like? Um, if it involves other people, obviously consider if you are planning to sort of seek improvement from that person, which may allow you to keep those expectations high and um, push those folks in your life to step up, which is never a bad thing. Um, or are you looking for contentment from them? Um, and being able to recognize that with that, you may not get that full return on your investment, but you do sort of create within yourself a level of happiness um, that allows you to feel fulfilled, um, even if maybe they're not meeting what that higher expectation is. And so that's being able to sort of, again, think about what that aspirational gap is um, and where you want to fall in there. And so from that point, you manage your expectations accordingly and obviously seek to be happy for you and you alone, which in the big picture, for those of us who are optimists, sounds like you're being selfish. Um, but in actuality, that's being able to sort of really practice good self-care of not only um, your well-being, but your overall mental health, maybe your resources, your time, your energy. Um, and the more you can do that throughout this year um, and for, for forever, um, you'll see improvements in your relationship. You'll also see those folks who will sort of step up um, and, and bridge that gap a little bit without you having to ask because your standard will be set. So just some thoughts as you maybe think about sorting through your relationships, your friendships, and trying to keep those things in order. So again, making sure you, you manage those expectations and you navigate them well so that don't put yourself in a, a place to be emotionally played. Um, and so I hope that that at least helps someone as you enter 2019 trying to be happy for you and for you first. So we're going to take a quick break right there and we'll be back with our signature segments. everyone. We are back with the second half of our show and all of our fun signature segments. Um, so first up, I want us to chat about our pop psych moment of the week. Um, and in all honesty, I should probably call today's um, segment of this our pop psych moment of the last month um, or so. Uh, I really want to take a few minutes because, again, my goal is to keep us in 30 minutes to talk about um, all of the chatter around um, the Lifetime Surviving R. Kelly documentary. Um, so in some ways, for me to be transparent, I have to let you guys know that I did not know this documentary was even coming out. And so um, upon kind of, you know, discovering it and hearing about it and then watching it, um, a lot of light shed, I think, that people 
um, weren't aware of details around his personal life, but also um, the horrible things that he has done um, and continues to do from, from what it sounds like to the victims and the survivors. And so being able to really think about what do we need to do as a community um, to really have an open discussion about this, particularly around mental health, well-being, trauma. Um, there's so many avenues and, and I think probably in future episodes, I'm going to um, try to address some of the specific areas that I'm going to mention today, um, but we just don't have time, but really being able to sort of highlight this. So first, if um, you are like me and you had no idea about the documentary, um, if you can bear it, I would say that if you are a victim um, of any form of trauma, not even just sort of sexual assault, um, it goes much, much deeper um, to be able to choose wisely whether or not you want to watch it. Um, it took me probably at least a week to really get through um, the sort of six segments of it that they had, and it just was really difficult. So um, it discusses everything from um, the substantial evidence that was brought forward in his child molestation and child pornography allegations um, in, in a lot more vivid detail than probably any of us who were growing up sort of in the era of R. Kelly um, being popular, so 90s, early 90s, um, and even 2000s, of course, um, being able to really look at that um, from a different lens, from a legal perspective, but obviously from a trauma-based perspective as well. Um, and these victims, many of which who are um, giving their accounts in the documentary, um, give a lot of detail about what it was like to experience that and be a part of that. And what does it feel like even today to sort of not feel vindicated um, about what they've been through. Um, and it, it really is very interesting. And of course, for those of us who are mental health professionals or sort of any wellness professional to really think about um, what does that look like for people who enter our offices and our exam rooms um, to be able to support them. And so what uh, also stood out for me was this concept that was talked about often throughout the documentary of the fact that there are so many predators that are hiding in the open. Um, and sometimes this is based on sort of the culture that we live in and the music that we currently have based on earlier generations, which the documentary points out. Um, even some of what we consider like our old school hits um, talked a lot about um, sort of inappropriate relationships with um, younger people, um, younger women a lot of times, being able to really think about um, what message are we still telling through some of our music about um, what does it mean to sort of be in relationship with someone or to be in a committed relationship with someone that does not include things like control and manipulation. Um, we could talk about it forever. So, you know, I, I kind of wanted to put that out there as our pop psych moment of the week is this idea, um, particularly because there's the Mute R. Kelly campaign that's still going. Um, and actually, on, I believe, yesterday or sometime this past weekend, um, for the first time, even with all these allegations, um, R. Kelly, who's been with Sony Records for many years, finally, the two of them have parted ways um, and, and they've sort of taken a stand against what is going on, what's out there currently in the media, um, which is also a representation of them and what they actually believe um, about and from these victims. And so there were just so many small revelations that um, were sort of insightful, but also enlightening. I think, again, to think about if you are someone who works with victims of trauma, um, one of the key 
uh, themes that also came up was this nickname that R. Kelly has had for many, many years, um, this Pied Piper of R&B. Um, and if anyone's familiar with the story from most of our childhoods of who the Pied Piper was, he was um, a musician who was brought into this town to rid them of rodents. So he would play music um, and this would drive them out of the cities, keeping um, these towns and cities cleaner um, because the rodents would leave and sort of follow him um, out. And so the story shifts when he um, is no longer appreciated and being you know, uh, paid properly. And he decides instead to um, use his musical talents to guide all of the children astray out of the town. Um, and that just blew my mind because, I mean, I grew up, I've read the, the story of the Pied Piper um, and never once connected this concept with what um, R. Kelly was sort of openly, again, this idea of predators hiding in the open um, was saying, you know, and, and being able to use his music in a way um, that for him somehow feels like an outlet based on um, the trauma that he's gone through. And again, I want people, if they are comfortable to watch it, so I don't want to share too much, but um, to recognize that his behavior is is not okay. And so being able to shift culturally um, and move away from supporting someone like that and not just him, but others is really important. And so what comes up also in um, the documentary are sort of the racial implications for black male predators in particular and black female victims and sort of um, the the lack of a of understanding and appreciation and valuing of those victims um, based on their race. And so R. Kelly himself, like I mentioned, was a victim of childhood sexual trauma, but that doesn't excuse his behavior. And that behavior still warrants punishment, just like we've dished out for folks like Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, um, and a ton of others over the course of um, the last few years through things like the Me Too movement um, and others. And so just being able to really see that um, laid out over the course of, again, a six-hour series um, was extremely interesting, but also for, again, those of us who um, are practitioners to really think about what are we doing to sort of tap into our skill set around helping victims um, of trauma in any way. And, and if you happen to be a victim, for you to be able to recognize that um, you don't need to exist or live in shame and getting support, um, whether that's through mental health, physical health, um, or both, is really, really important. And so I wanted to bring that up as our pop psych moment of the week because I thought it was a um, very interesting topic because most of us love music. Most of us um, consider a lot of our um, artists that are out to be sort of these like icons and examples. And um, in this case, this is not an example that we want or a representation that we want culturally of ourselves. And so being able um, to point that out, I think, was really important. So if you haven't seen it and you're interested, it's a Lifetime documentary um, series, um, Surviving R. Kelly. And I'd love to hear people's thoughts later. So send us either your questions um, or comments once you view it. Um, our next segment is our Small Talk Bookshelf. Um, I want to highlight, and I think I mentioned this during our last episode of season one, that um, by the time I would be back with you all again, that we would hold our first um, women's wellness retreat. And so we entitled it My Curated Life, which centered around being able to sort of create the wellness in your life that you want and need 
um, in simplistic ways. And so just being able to really have this amazing time about two weeks ago to just connect and recharge. Um, We had so much fun, um, a very intimate event, which I think we'll probably keep it that way. And I hate to say that because I know there were people who called um, even as we approached the weekend who were trying to see if there were still slots left. And we just we didn't do it um, because we really wanted it to be sort of intimate and personalized. And so the women who came, um, I think, had a wonderful time or I hope they did. And of course, because of its success, we will aim for it to be an annual event. So if you didn't get to go this year and you're in the Baton Rouge area or if you will be in the Baton Rouge area when we have it on next year for 2020, um, I do hope that you will consider attending. Um, But overall, I think it was a great time um, for women from all over to get to be able um, to just learn some things about themselves, where they are, a great way to start their year, um, and really give sort of that possibility of what does it mean to recharge and re-energize around your personal goals and expectations. And so we focus on everything from physical health to mental health, to sleep, to um, mindfulness, to spiritual health. Um, It was amazing. We even did a little bit of yoga. Um, It was wonderful. And so just making sure that if you wherever you are, um, have an opportunity to really take sort of time, even if it is for a day, even if it's for an hour, to unplug and recharge, um, to really do that so that you can feel uh, fulfilled in the ways that really nobody else, like we talked about earlier, um, can meet and only you can kind of do that. So super, super excited about our My Curated Life Women's Wellness Retreat. And I do hope that the ladies who came had a great time. And I'm So looking forward to it and some of the other things that we have coming up, which actually leads me to the other half of our Small Talk Bookshelf. Um, So recently, I've been having a lot of conversations and discussions with people, um, particularly because this time of year is when I usually take on um, around my home, my own sort of projects around creating a space for myself um, that sort of attributes to my overall health and well-being. And I think while there's not a ton of research out there, there definitely it's building um, around design therapy and mental health. And so currently I myself am also taking um, a course around this and sort of exploring the role that our environment plays on our mood and our wellness outcomes in general. And I'm not just saying like, you know, okay, this chair needs to be facing the window outside so that it has the significant meaning about you looking out into the world. It's not that deep, um, but it's being able to really think about how do you create a space that's functional to your life, to your lifestyle, to the other people who maybe live in your home um, so that it creates harmony, it creates peace. Um, Certain rooms even being painted certain colors or the color you choose to select your furniture in. All of those things sort of play a role um, in being able to create not just a living room or a kitchen, but an experience every time you walk into your home that attributes to positive mental health and well-being. And so um, obviously taking this class and thinking more deeply about this, like I tend to do every year, definitely feeds my home goods and Pinterest obsession. Um, I am not ashamed about it, but I also recognize that um, lots of people don't think about this. And so I hope to, at least through maybe upcoming events and programs that we have, and even maybe through the podcast, talking a little bit more um, about what this can look like for all of you. Um, In our next event, which we will have in April, hopefully we'll feature um, something about this. And so being able to just put that on your mind, plant that, 
Maybe do a quick Google search around design therapy and mental health um, and add what you find to your bookshelf so that um, you have that sort of in your arsenal when it comes to thinking differently about um, starting a new year and wanting to create ways um, to make wellness a priority that definitely can be one. So that's our small talk bookshelf for this week. And then last up is our Ask Dr. LP segment. We're starting off the year, so we didn't have any questions coming out, but I do hope that we will all remain committed um, to our mental health. And so being able to have discussions around this topic is really important to me. And I hope that the things that we have talked about in this segment um, in season one have been useful, um, but we want to hear more from you. So make sure that you submit your questions on Instagram, on Facebook, through our website. You can email them to us directly. Um, any way that you want to get your questions to us, please do that um, because we want to be able to share your thoughts because more than likely your question is also something that somebody else has on their mind and maybe just hasn't built up the courage to ask. And so um, our hope will be to do that and finding ways also to incorporate those questions more in our social media to engage you all more. I know that's also was a part of an ask after season one, like I mentioned. Um, and so maybe on those off weeks when we are not um, having a new podcast episode that we will have something like a mental health Monday or being able to offer more opportunities to have um, live discussions around mental health and asking questions so that we can create opportunities to open up our discussion even further. So it's our last segment of the show. And so obviously I did pretty decent job. Didn't hit 30 minutes exactly, but we're pretty close. Um, being able to sort of take this opportunity again to thank you all. I know I gave you probably way too many things or more things than you wanted um, during the season finale of season one, but I'm just as grateful, just as thankful for all of you for tuning in um, all the time and for sharing the podcast with people that you know and love. We have so many exciting things ahead this season, lots of new guests, lots of fun topics. Um, and I really hope that through this, we can learn to sort of expect the unexpected around um, this mental health topic of ours and being able to create, again, that safety, but also finding fun ways to talk about um, a topic that many of us still struggle with. And so just being able to think differently about that is still our goal. Um, as always, like I mentioned at the top of the show, make sure that you like, follow, and subscribe on all of our social media platforms and reach out to us however you need to. Submit your questions for our Ask Dr. LP segment um, and obviously take very good care of yourselves. I thank you guys and I will see you in two weeks back here on the Emerald Couch. <laughs>